Praise the Lord. Thank you, Brother Cam. It's a joy this morning to have uh, Dr. Jim and uh, Rita Moss with us. Miss Rita's sitting right over here. Stand if you would. Just let everybody see you. Just, just let them see you. It's so, such a pleasure to have them with us. Brother Jim surrendered to the ministry when he was 14 years old. And uh, by the time he was 18, he had already preached 77 revivals. He, at 18, he took a pastor of a church in Arkansas, led the state of Arkansas, over 250 baptisms in that church. And then he came home to Texas or got back in God's country and has pastored churches here. His last one, St. Augustine, First Baptist. And in 2020, God called him in evangelism. Uh, 22,000 period. This is 2020, isn't it? Yeah, 20 years ago, God called him into evangelism. The thing I love most is, uh, now, now you folk don't know this, but preachers are very delicate. We're delicate human beings, very delicate. And we don't like people coming in telling us what we ought to be doing and how we ought to be doing it. But, uh, and some evangelists are kind of cocky like that. Not, no offense, Brother Allen, not, not you. But uh, it is great, and Brother Allen's got the same kind of testimony, it's great to have a man of God who has pastored churches and know what it's like to sit here before a congregation and yet be in evangelism for 20 years, almost a thousand revivals preached and lives touched. And uh, this is a great team. I want you to welcome Dr. Jim Moss. Now he's going to have to leave. He's preaching this morning. He's got a funeral in Arkansas tomorrow and he'll be back here Tuesday. So he'll see most of you Tuesday, but you welcome him as he comes to bring the word of God. Amen. Your pastor's one of a kind. <laughs> we'll just leave it at that. God has really, and I don't say this loosely, or tongue in cheek, has blessed Rita and I immensely over the years, bringing into our family dear, dear men and women of the Lord. And your pastor certainly is one of those. And I feel somewhat unworthy. I feel like that I'm playing second fiddle because when we walked up on the campus here, having preached at Mason Creek a little while ago, the buzz is in the air over what a great job Brother Case did earlier. Why did you put him, hometown, great preacher, in front of me this morning? Ah, it's been good. It's been good. My prayer is that I just won't get in God's way. You've got a great lineup of preachers for the next three days. This is my third focus conference. I appreciate Brother Hunt, Sister Becky. Love them dearly for the invite, the privilege being at this great church. Preach 50 to 52 revivals a year. This is indeed a highlight to begin our year. I pray that I'll not cause any trouble down here today. I was reading a while back, I believe it was one of Tom Rainer's church surveys. And uh, 
the results of the survey, what causes trouble in the church. And uh, they gave three reasons, not necessarily in order, but what causes the most trouble and conflict in church, number one, was moods. People having mood swings, moody people. One of them was money. The talk of money, the love of money is the root of all evil, causes a lot of trouble. And then what got my attention was the third one, misunderstandings. Misunderstandings. Now, I came here today with a, in a good mood, so I don't have to worry about causing trouble there. And nowhere in my notes do I have the five-letter word money. So you don't have to worry about that. But misunderstandings, I thought about a misunderstanding, of course, occurs when one person is thinking of a particular thing one way, and another person is thinking about the same thing in a different way, and it can cause misunderstandings down at the church. I'm reminded of this lady who was very proper. As a matter of fact, probably one of the most elegant ladies you and I have ever heard about. She was making arrangements for herself and her husband to spend two weeks of their vacation at a church youth camp. But before she would commit, she wanted to inquire about the facilities, especially the cleanliness of the restrooms and bathrooms, and if they were completely equipped. Now you understand, she wrote the book on etiquettes, and being the proper woman she was, she began to write out that letter to send to the camp director, and she got down to the words, toilet. And that was too crude of a word for her, so she erased it. She thought about bathroom commodes. She said, no, that's not me. I'm too polished for that. So she just decided she would abbreviate bathroom commode with the letters BC. She mailed the letter. The camp director read it for the life of it. He couldn't interpret what she meant by BC called the staff together in unison. They read it and agreed she must be referring to a Baptist church. So the camp director wrote her back, corresponded, and I happened to have a letter that he wrote. And he said, I regret very much the delay in answering your letter. But I would like to inform you there is a BC located nine miles from the camp. It is capable of seating 250 people at one time. I admit it's quite a distance away if you are in the habit of going regularly. But no doubt you will be pleased to know that a great number of people take their lunch and make a day of it. The last time my wife and I went was six years ago. And it was so crowded we had to stand the whole time we were there. But it may please you to know there is a supper plan to raise more money to buy more seats. Remember, if you and your husband decide to come, this is a friendly community. Well, I pray there'll be no misunderstandings while I preach this morning. Good to be here today. 
In your Bible, the Gospel of Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter number 2. I am excited and encouraged about your building program and what God is doing here. My prayer is the Lord will allow me to be a blessing to you today and I hope that I can reciprocate just some of the love that you have given me over the past few years. Mark chapter number 2. Again, I want to say all of these revivals annually traveling from the east to the west, north and south, being in so many churches, I honestly, without hesitation or reservation, say that you have, in my opinion, the greatest worship leader in Brotheran and praise team and choir that I've ever been a part of. May God bless you. Let's have fun this morning. Are you ready? Mark chapter 2, verse number 1. And again, he entered into Capernaum after some days, and it was noised that he was in the house. And straightway many were gathered together, insomuch that there was no room to receive them, no, not so much as about the door. And he preached the word unto them. And they come unto him, bringing one sick the palsy, which was born of four. And when they could not come nigh unto him for the press, they uncovered the roof where he was, and when they had broken it up and let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. When Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. But there were certain scribes sitting there, reasoning in their hearts, Why doth this man thus speak blasphemies? who can forgive sins but God only. And immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they so reasoned within themselves, he said unto them, Why reason ye these things in your hearts? Whether is it easier to say to the sick man, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise and take up thy bed and walk. But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins, he saith to the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise, and take up thy bed, and go thy way into thine house. And immediately he arose, took up the bed, and went forth before them all, insomuch they were all amazed, and glorified God, saying, We never saw it on this fashion. I'll call your attention to that last phrase. We never saw it on this fashion. I can imagine that when the crowd left that day, as they went away and for the rest of their lives, they probably agreed that was an unforgettable church service. Anybody ever been a part of an unforgettable church service? I have a few spiritual, but... Unfortunately, most of those that I recall that are unforgettable didn't have anything to do about spirituality. Thirty years ago, I became pastor at the age of 30 at First Baptist St. Augustine. 
Now you understand, I did not want to move to St. Augustine. After we arrived, they were very gracious people. But I made a mistake and said, God, I'll never move to St. Augustine. Six months later, I was their pastor. When the search committee called me and extended an opportunity to preach in view of a call, I did. Two weeks later, I received a phone call from the chairman of the committee saying, Brother Moss, we just overwhelmingly want you to be our pastor. They took a secret ballot vote. It was like 364 in favor of me, and only seven voted against me. Now, wouldn't you agree that's a pretty high percentile, 364, seven against, secret ballot. I know three that voted against me, my wife and two kids. They didn't want to move over there either. <laughs> so we became pastor. First Sunday as pastor, I'm standing in the foyer. You also must understand they had five sweet dear little ladies that sat on the fourth pew in the middle section every Sunday. They all five were retired educators. They wore their hats so proudly in their color-coordinated gloves. They wrote the book on etiquettes. The first Sunday as pastor, I'm standing in the foyer. One of them walks up to me, sizes me up, and says, Brother Jim Moss, are you our new pastor? And I said, yes, ma'am. She said, well, I want you to know I happen to be one of the seven that voted against you. I made a fatal mistake. I asked her, why would you vote against me? She said, because when you came and preached in view of a call, as you were seated on the platform while our 40, 50-member row choir were singing the special, my lady friends and I couldn't help but notice while you were sitting there, you had your legs crossed. She said, don't you know that's improper etiquette for a man to cross his legs while seated on a platform? Gee, that was before Siri. I didn't know what etiquette was. I said, ma'am, I apologize if that offended you, but to be honest, ma'am, I was elated. I said, I'd been on a diet for the last six months, lost nearly 50 pounds. That was the first time I could cross my legs in several years. <laughs> she said, well, we want a pastor that's polished, prim. We want him to stand behind the pulpit, never raise his voice, read from a manuscript, smile every now and then in one of the three television cameras. And for sure, had the benediction pronounced by a quarter to 12, where we could beat the first Methodist down to the restaurants. I said, yes, ma'am. That was fatal mistake number two. I learned that if you please God, it matters not whom you displease. But if you displease God, it matters not whom you please. And so I did, as she said, for the next three weeks, some of you noticed my wife, she used to be even more redhead than she is now. That third Sunday I came in from church, we went in separate vehicles. She met me in the kitchen. She says, Jimmy, I'm ashamed of you. You haven't preached since we moved over here. I knew it wouldn't work. I don't know if it was the Holy Spirit or her, but God got all over me. And that next week I got right with God. As a matter of fact, I couldn't wait, biting at the bits for Sunday morning. I apologize, and I apologize to them, so don't anybody here hold it against me. But while the choir was singing that fourth Sunday, I decided one more time in the flesh, I threw that one leg over the other. 
And then I ran to the pulpit. And I was all over the platform, up and down the aisles of the First Baptist Church. And the Holy Ghost of God came down on that place. And when it was all said and done, 11 people got saved that morning. Amen. They were carrying them off to adjacent rooms and counseling with them. I didn't have a clue who were accepting Christ, how many made decisions. I just know about 1245, we had the benediction. <laughs> but that was all right. Our deacon chairman at the time, Brother Arthur Mitchell, came up to me that morning and said, Brother Jim, when would you like to have your first baptism service? I'd only been there. That was the fourth week. I said, well, what about tonight? I thought it would be effective, come live television at 6 o'clock, me in the baptistry and start baptizing. He said, well, we can make that happen. And so we were going to present them that night in the baptistry. He turned the water on. The baptistry was like this up on the second level. I had my dressing room up there next to it. He turned it on that morning. He went home and got all caught up in a Dallas Cowboy football game. Forgot he had left the water running. Now those that are still around over there these past 30 years are still talking about this unforgettable church service. I got up there in the dressing room. It came two minutes till six. I began to walk down the staircase into that large baptistry, and with peripheral vision, I noticed the water was seeping right there on top of the glass. And I sucked it in the best I could, and I eased around. I looked up into the monitor in the balcony, and they had zoomed in. It looked from here up. I didn't know who I was baptizing. We were going to alternate from men to women dressing room. I looked over on the men's side. Here comes a little boy, seven, eight, nine years old. He takes two steps. He can't touch bottom. And he dog pals all the way to me. <laughs> you can't make this up. I'll give you some names who are still living. You call over and talk to them. I caught him on the way over, Father, Son, Holy Ghost. I bounced him on one knee. I eased him down, breathed a sigh of relief. He turned around. He swam back off. I said, praise God. I turned around to the women's dressing room, and lo and behold, I laid eyes on the biggest East Texas woman I had ever seen in my life. Here she comes. She had rode the church bus to church. She had got gloriously saved. You couldn't embarrass her. She barreled off down in there, and when she did, the water splashed up on the evening choir. I looked, and it looked like Niagara Falls. I panicked. One of them lost her dentures. I said, Brother Arthur, let some water out. Five-inch drain. He opened it all the way, and whoop. Womp, womp. That's enough. Water down to my knees. Ten to baptize left. I whispered in her ear, PZM mics on the wall going over television sound. I had to, I said, let's go, both go under the ledge. I'll douse some water on you. We'll come up. I did the next 10 that way. I don't know if they were scripturally baptized or not, but it worked. <laughs> Unforgettable. Wouldn't you agree this morning, in Mark chapter number 2, this indeed was an unforgettable church service. I want to share with you just briefly. But at the close of the sermon, just have three points. 
not even a poem. But I want to ask you a question. The scholars I've read, the pastors I've introduced to, I've searched it myself, but there's something very deep theologically that I just hadn't found satisfaction in the answer. Maybe somebody here can think about it, pray about it, and assist me on it sometime this week. But before we get to the question, let's look there, number one. I want you to notice the quarters where this church service, where this miracle took place. Notice with me the place, verse number one, Capernaum, which is in northern Galilee, on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. Jesus, of course, born in Bethlehem, raised in Nazareth, began his ministry here in Capernaum on the seashore of Galilee. Jesus is preaching. So not only do we have the place, but we have the preaching. When Jesus is preaching or when Jesus is preached, there will be the presence and power of God in that place. Aren't you glad today that you've got a pastor and associate pastor and youth pastor and worship pastor and children's director and all personnel of leadership? Aren't you glad today that Jesus is being preached in this place? Notice the people. Many were gathered. Luke's account of it in chapter 5, verse number 17, tells us from every town of Galilee, people came. You see, when Jesus is in the house, the word will get out and people will come. Jesus is in the house here. And for the past few years, it is no secret. The word has got out and people have come. And folks are here this morning, no doubt. You're ready to resolve this new year of 2020 to have a closer relationship with the Lord, to walk near to Him. Maybe you've chosen this morning to come to this church and you feel led of God to present yourself to be a part of this fellowship, to walk the aisle. Maybe you're here today, God help us, and you're searching for answers to your life's difficult questions I've got good news. This church has good news. This pastor has good news. You're at the right place because Jesus is the answer. And you can receive him right here this morning. So the quarters. Notice with me number two, the quartet. These four faithful friends that brought their friend to Jesus who was bedridden, sick of the palsy. I thought about friends. The Bible says in Proverbs 18, a man that hath friends must make himself friendly. Somebody said, I went out to find a friend. A friend couldn't be found anywhere. So I went out the next day to be a friend, and friends were found everywhere. We thank the Lord for our friends. The songwriter said, Lord, let me live from day to day in such a self-forgetful way that when I stop and kneel and pray, my prayer will be for others. Others, Lord, yes, others, let this my motto be. Lord, let me live for others that I may live like thee. These four friends, 
I want you to notice with me, first of all, their passion. They had a desire to get their friend to Jesus. 2020 affords the opportunity for us to get our friends and family to Jesus. Notice the problem, however. When they arrived, because the gathering at the door, they were unable to go in, they had a problem. But thank God they didn't give up. Notice number three, their persistence. They had some spiritual ingenuity about them. In other words, if you can't get your friend to Jesus one way, don't give up, try another way. And so they scaled the staircase on the outside of the house. They entered into the top of the roof. And number four, notice their partnership. They began to go through the roof and let down, lowered their friend on the bed. Don't you know it took all four of them to balance that bed from the ceiling down to the floor? How many agree this morning that it takes a partnership to do kingdom work right here at Willow Hills Baptist Church? Every one of us are a part of it. That's exactly what the Lord has intended and laid upon my heart to share today in the message. We're going to quickly come to an end of the sermon, but then I want to give you a sermon. You thought you were going to get out early, didn't you? But it took a partnership. And so the quarters where the miracle happened in Capernaum, the quartet, but notice the quickening of this lame man. As they laid him at the feet of Jesus, the Lord gave him new life and gave him new limbs. Quickening simply means to be brought to life. Quickening, bringing to life. The case involving the man, he was lame, and Jesus knew his location. Somebody recall in your life today, somebody ought to praise him this morning that the Lord knew who you are and knew your location and he came seeking you. We did not first seek him, but he found you. To the IRS, we're nothing but a mere social number, but to him, he knows us by our name. You're somebody this morning. And here he was lame, but the Lord knew his location. But notice not only the case involving the man, but the cure wrought by the master. It is a picture of true salvation. He said to him, arise, that's grace, for by grace are you saved. God doing something for him that he couldn't do for himself. When you and I became a born again, blood-bought child of God, God did it, we didn't. It was not by wafers, not by water, not by works, but by the grace of God that he saved us. Notice what he said Take up thy bed. That's faith. For by grace are you saved through faith. And then he said, walk. That's a result of our salvation, good works. Now that's the sermon. Can we get to the question? And I'm done. When Jesus touched the lame man there in Capernaum, no doubt there was a lot of rejoicing, wouldn't you agree? The sick man was healed. He took up his bed. He walked home happily to his family. His four friends experienced the thrill that comes helping others. The crowd that had gathered that day to see Jesus, certainly they were not disappointed either. 
However, a question persists in my mind. <laughs> After all the excitement had dissipated, the thrill had subsided, after the hill man had gone home, the four friends gone down the road rejoicing, after the dust had settled from the crowd leaving out, a day or two later, the question I have, who patched the roof? Who patched the roof? Somebody had to. Someone may think, well, that's insignificant. Oh, no, it's not. Somebody had to patch the roof. They taught us in school, in college, that if you want to come up and try to find the answer to a question, a good strategic plan would be through the process of elimination. Y'all remember that? You can eliminate. And in this miracle story that's before us today, I went through the process of elimination. And there are a lot of folks that I know who didn't stoop to the menial, dirty task of patching a roof. I eliminated. For instance, I want you to notice, first of all, the spectators who were curious. Do you think they stayed around and patched the roof? No, they came by. They saw the crowd. They were curious what was going on. They stayed around for a while, but they were not attracted by Christ. They were attracted by curiosity. They went on. They didn't roof patch. Don't you know we've got folks that come to our churches from time to time? They come with good intents. They're curious. They hear about what's going on at Woodland Hills Baptist Church. Hey, they hear about your great pastor, your great music, your great children's department. They hear about the numbers of growth, and they drive into the parking lot, not because they're attracted by Christ necessarily, but by curiosity. They're not roof patchers. So I eliminated them. Second group I eliminated, Brother Case, not only the spectators who were curious, but the scribes who were critical. You see, in that miracle that day, there were some seated right over here, no doubt. And as Jesus was healing the man, forgiving him of his sins, they said among themselves, this man, who does he think he is? He thinks he's God. He's blasphemous. Who can forgive sins but God? Don't you know Jesus knew every thought coming from their mind? They were critical. They were not interested in building Woodland Hills Baptist Church. They were more interested in blowing it up. Hey, aren't you glad you got some sweet, sweet fellowship in this place? Sometimes God has to do a sifting, and that's all right. Sometimes we lose good, godly people, but God will have who God desires in this place if God's people here are united together. So I scratched off those scribes. I know you don't have any critical folks in the house. I've met a few of them in my pastor before, however. Now, let's be honest. I've had one or two. When you see them come through that door, you want to go out that door. 
But that's all right. You love them anyway. But don't let it be you who criticizes what God's doing here. You may not agree, but you disagree agreeably. You must, I must, we all must understand it's not about our own personal agenda, but it's making sure we're focused in the will and the way of Him. So I eliminated those scribes that were critical. Number three, I eliminated the seeker-friendly clientele. You say, who are seeker-friendly folks? This group of people always wants a thrill without ever paying the bill. Mm. I mean, they serve the Lord because of a miracle. They want to come with excitement where they can throw up their hands, where they can holler and praise. Hey, nothing wrong with that because I'm one of them old-fashioned Jesus-level, devil-shoving, hanky-waving, sweating type of preachers myself. I love to shout and have a good time. But hey, a seeker-friendly person is one who's always seeking the hand of Jesus and not the heart of Jesus. Always wanting something. Always wanting something. When I pastored, I had two kinds of people, two kinds of church members. I had those, first of all, when they were not there, something was wrong. Y'all have some of those here. When they're not there, something is wrong. You make a phone call, a contact, you ask around. God forbid they had an accident on the way to church, sickness in the home. But if they're not found in God's house, something's wrong. Then I had the other group. When they were there, something was wrong. Huh? They wanted something. They needed help. Now we all need help. Don't misunderstand me. And we would help them. We all fall on dire times from time to time. Sometimes our plans do not turn out the way we planned. But at least come to church and be a part of what God's doing. So I eliminated them. They didn't stick around to patch any roofs. Then there was a startled crowd bunch, a secluded church member. You think those that wouldn't even give their pew up to let friends with the man sick in, you think they stuck around patched the roof? They didn't have enough compassion to get up and let him in. They're not going to get rid of their pew. This is my place. They didn't patch the roof. The question I have then, who patched the roof? I want to come to a close by giving you just a few qualities of a roof patcher. Folks, God's got a great thing going here with you. It's all right to be proud of your church. It's a good thing to brag on your pastor and your congregation all over Longview. Let people know where you worship. 
hey, when you walk through these doors, better yet, when you drive up on these grounds, you sense the presence of God in this place. In a building program, no doubt budget probably is tight. No doubt somebody's saying, well, why do we spend so much? Why do we have all these activities? Can I just suggest 46 years of the ministry? I'm 60, been involved nearly all my life. Pastored two churches, 10 years each in East Texas before evangelism. May I just say, don't cut God short. Trust the Lord. Let me give you a good verse. The psalmist said, I once was young, now I'm old, and never have I seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. God, economy, is different than man's. Have faith in God. Trust Him. Ruth Patcher. The person who patched the roof was someone who served Jesus because of who he was rather than what Jesus could do for them. A roof patcher appreciated the message of Jesus more than the miracles, was more interested in the thrill, not the thrill of emotionalism, but the thrill of truth, wanted the truth of God more than the feelings. A roof patcher trademarks or faithfulness, loyalty, and dependability. A root patcher is one who's faithful to God, who's loyal to their pastor, and who's dependable to his or her church. A root patcher comes to the house of God more than just out of duty or responsibility because you yearn from week to week to be in the house of God with God's people. There's no place like this place. A root patcher, when the shouting has subsided and the excitement has died down, a root patcher, he or she is ready to pick up the pieces and do the dirty work. Root patchers understand they're little people with little talents doing little works for a big God. A root patcher is every one of us who are in the pew. God's called every one of you this morning. You have a ministry. You have a talent. You have a work. More than just coming to church, but let your life let your life so reflect the love of Christ. A root patcher is disciplined enough to do the unsighting and devoted enough to do the uninteresting. You never see their name on the marquee. You never see their name plastered in the bulletin. They don't need a pat on the back. They're always in the background, not the limelight. The roof patcher. Let me just share a roof patcher story. The roof patcher is the lady that reaches up and sees a piece of bubble gum.
that some snotty-nosed child from the bus ministry has stuffed down the holder for the songbooks. A roof patcher discreetly reaches over, takes an old wrapper or napkin, picks it up, wads it up, puts it in her purse, and smiles, and thank God for that snotty-nosed child. Woo! A roof patcher is those men who may not be Bible teachers, who may not be scholars of the Word, but they're faithful to the house of God, and they're always looking to do the little things that nobody else notices. They notice, hey, we've got to pull together. In 2020, Ruth Patcher, they're always servants. They're always givers, not takers. Would you bow your heads? It's just us this morning. Time still early. Many of you are in the balcony. Listen to me in the balcony. You have a few more steps than those on the floor. Each one of us make up Willard Hills Baptist Church. Those of you that are sitting in the backdrop that are secluded perhaps in your mind, you're just as important as these down here on the platform. God's in this place today. If you would bow your head just for a moment, close your eyes. You may be those few that came in this morning not knowing what God has for you. But you were tired of what life has been like. And you've resolved and you're ready to make a change. But you don't know how to make a change. You've got more answers or less answers than you have questions. But I guarantee you, you'll never be a part of a family who will love you any more than the family you're with today. One thing I know about this congregation and her pastor, your future is not affected by your past. God forgives and they forgive. You can start your life anew right now this morning. Listen to me, if you're here, I'm not going to embarrass you. That's not my intention. Folks who know me understand that's not my character. But I want to pray for you. If you're here this morning, nobody looking, and you're not 100% certain that you've been born again, if you're not for sure that you have a place in your past where the Lord saved you, you called upon Him. 
and your life has never been the same since that time, that place. If you're not 100% certain, I want to pray for you right where I'm standing, right where you're sitting. Because I'd rather for you to be right twice than to be wrong once. Maybe back there you did make a decision for Jesus. But if there's any uncertainty, any doubt, I'd rather for you to do it again and make sure than to leave here having not been saved. Better to be right twice than to be wrong once and go to hell. Would you let me pray for you? If that's you and you're not 100% certain you're saved, would you raise your hand? I'm the only one looking. Raise it up high where I could see you. Don't be ashamed. I know with a congregation this size, raise it where I could see you. Amen, sir. Thank you for your honesty. Somebody else, raise it up high, ma'am, sir. Anyone down here on the floor level? Anyone else in the balcony where I could see you? Hey, I'm your friend. I'm here not because of choice. I'm here because God called me. And I love people. I love you. And more than anything, I want you to be on board. And I want you to go to heaven. And you can know it right now. Sir, that you raised your hand. Can I pray right here for you? I want to pray right now. Let's pray. Father, this young man's searching, but most importantly, the Holy Spirit is convicting him, dealing with him, drawing him right now. And he's ready to give his life to Jesus. Maybe he's made attempts in the past, but that's yesterday. He's ready to go all the way today. God, I want to thank Him for having confidence in me to pray for Him. But now, sir, listen, I'm asking God to do one more thing. God, would you give Him confidence and courage not to just let me pray for Him, but let us pray with Him right here in this altar. Jesus' name. Nobody looking. Sir, would you raise your head? Would you look at me? God dealing with you this morning? You ready to turn it over to him the best way you know how? In a moment, other folks are going to be coming down here and praying. You just walk out and come down here to Brother Hunt or one of these associates, okay? They're going to pray with you. And hey, the greatest day of your life is today, right now. Praise God. Brother Jason, right here. Do you know Jason Hunt, sir? He's the pastor's son. I have as much confidence in him as I have his daddy. Great man of God. You come to him, okay? Let him win you to Jesus. Amen. Now, for the rest of us, if you're looking for a church home today and you have already prayed about it on the way to church, you said the day's the day. We're going to begin 2020 identifying with this family. You come on right over here. Brother Case is on this side. You come on down to him. Now, the rest of us, this is different. Y'all in the balcony, remember I said a few moments ago you had a few more steps than us down here? 
this is for all of us. This will be done in orderly fashion. But we need to be accountable, not just to God, but to one another. Your pastor needs to know that in 2020, he can count on you. Your church needs to know that you're going to be dependable, faithful, and loyal. And so God needs some roof patchers here at Woodland Hills. And I'm going to ask you when the praise team begins to sing the first word of this song, you rise to your feet. Let everybody see that you mean business. And you walk on down here. Don't stay down here. Take your pastor by the hand. Say, Brother Hunt, you and my church can count on me. We're going to be with you through this process of kingdom building. Let's stand to our feet. Come on right now.